dead. Hi, 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 hello. Welcome back to Crap Beer is Dead. I am one of your hosts, Chris Face, accompanied, as always, by... Bree, the pint-sized traveler on the gram. On that gram. Um, yeah, I'm Chris Face on the gram, and if you spell it right, you might find me. Good <laughs> fucking luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, today we, uh, we're doing a spooky. Um, the last one was pretty solid. Did the Limp Brewery Ghost, right? Yeah, and found out that uh, one of our friends hosted a dinner at the brewery, which was pretty cool to learn. So, got to learn a little bit more about that. We had a lot of people interacting with that one who have actually like been there before, had yeah. some like random theories and shit. I guess it's a big attraction that we are just very behind on and didn't know about. I just don't know a lot about the Midwest, I feel. Yeah, I feel that. I don't either. I can't really even jot where the states are correctly probably so yeah i know that there's like california all the way over <laughs> and then the stuff in the middle is just get hit by tornadoes sometimes. i know there's like a chef somewhere what you know that like the saying that's how people always could remember where the states were because it the outline looks like a chef so if you can remember what makes up the chef you remember like a good eight states i was about to make no? super hard fun of that <laughs> until i realized i can only pick out italy because it looks like a shoe <laughs> so yeah, yeah there's that so there you go. You're anyway, <laughs> we got, oh man. So I'm super stoked to get this, to tell this story, not because uh, I'm excited about the details because they're fucking awful. <laughs> I'm just really excited. It's always a good start oh, whenever man. that comes I'm just up. really excited to finally say it and get it out of my head because I've lit, like literally last night, I remember waking up a little bit and it, it was on my mind twice. <laughs> Not like nightmare style, but enough to where like... You're just thinking about it. Dude, oh my God. I just need it out. (laughs) I need to get it out. I mean, he has been talking about it for a good 48 hours now, so... Well, I'm excited to... I'm excited for him to get it Well, it's a big one. You know what I mean? It's one of those ones where like not a lot of people know about this person. Mm -mm. Um, And he's been made more popular over the last, I'd say, two to three years with some inclusion and some different TV shows and those kind of things. And I think you can say the TV show, right? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say it Okay, later, okay. We I was going to say, I didn't know if you were like trying to not get sued again, but... No, we can definitely say the TV show, <laughs> for sure. But, no, starting out, let's, uh, let's open the beer, because that'll definitely help alleviate everyone's mentality while doing this. Uh, so, today, we are opening The Chosen One. Uh, it is a double... Dry hopped IPA. Is it a double IPA or a single IPA? Double IPA. Double IPA. So this is from T- or Tilted Barn Brewery over in Exeter, Rhode Island. Yep. Um, one of our friends was kind enough to come in and drop this off for us. So apparently they're doing some dope-ish. Um, if you are in that area, I don't know how far you can find their stuff, but ooh, it looks chunky. Mm-mm-mm. Like in a good way. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I like them big. What? I like them chunky. From Madagascar? Oh. Uh, no? No. Mojo Jojo? That's <laughs> what Kristen sings the, to me, though. Did she really? <laughs> I would fucking die if you didn't know this whole time what it was. Anyway. I actually don't. It's a really funny part of this movie. Please keep anyway. going. I like them big. All right, you called my I luck. I like them chunky. <laughs> That's where we get sued. Thanks a lot. 
No, so this one is the chosen one. Um, according to their website, you asked for it, and we delivered. The chosen one is an American double IPA, overflowing with hops and weighing in at a surprisingly subtle eight point five percent ABV. This beer needs no introduction. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy. You've chosen wisely. It's pretty fucking good. Is it? We did I've choose been wisely. Too much. It's actually really fucking good. It's just most dope. <laughs> it's eight and a half percent, and I think it sips far less than that, maybe like six five. Yeah, it hides that very well. It's got everything you need out of a double hazy. You get a little, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. Tapers off nice. And that's even impressive because I think this one's like not old, but it's a few months I've old. I've had it a yeah, minute. That's pretty solid. I mean, oh, that's just yummy. good job, guys. We're we're super excited to be able to have this one. Thank you for bringing it in. Thank you for making it. Yeah. If you ever make it up that way, they have the chosen one, Dippa. They have the double dry hopped chosen one, Dippa. They have the other one, a Dippa. They have the double dry hopped <laughs> other one, the Dippa. <laughs> That's why I didn't want to tell you before we started. <laughs> it took me a second because I kind of like started tuning you out and reading the can and then I heard you like doing that. Well, it's okay. They changed it up. They have funny. cactus, the dipper. They have the double dry hot cactus, the dipper. <laughs> they have watermelon K, dipper. Um, they apparently know what they're doing with IPAs because there's a fuck ton of them on here. So good for you guys. We appreciate it. It's super dope. So yeah. go check them out. Farm brood. Farm brood. That was, that was good. All right. You ready to get fucking weird? Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way to start the morning off. So. Okay. So for the first time, you know, I've been listening to a lot of other shows too. And and, and maybe we should start including this. Like if you are a first time listener. Hey, how are you? Your hey. hair looks great. <laughs> Killing it today. Uh, if you're not, you already know kind of what we do. But also at the same time, this can get a little dark, a little bleak. A um, little bit of a trigger warning on this one. Oh, my God. Yeah. This, this is, is the first time in almost 40 episodes you've said that. So. I know, but this is like Shit. one of the most violent stories we've covered to date. Uh, yeah. Some of these things that we're about to discuss are extremely graphic, either gory-wise, uh, sexually-related-wise. They're just super fucked. Um, and there's like, what, 12 pages of this? So. Uh, just on what I wrote. I didn't even finish, <laughs> so I'm going to scramble toward the last of it. But... Basically, what I'm saying is if you're listening to this in public, uh, check your friends. Read the room. Um, <laughs> you may want to throw headphones on uh, <laughs> or else you will be labeled that fucking guy or girl. Um, so let's get into it. Serial <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> killer fascination may not necessarily be on the rise, but it's certainly becoming far more mainstream. Documentaries, Netflix specials, and podcasts come out on the daily, all describing the gory but fascinating details of many popular killers. It feels as though even the average enthusiast can rattle off random details about high-profile serial killers such as Dahmer, Gacy, and Ramirez. Truth. But back in the 1970s, the idea of a quote-unquote serial killer was literally just being coined. Many communities simply couldn't fathom that people would commit murder for any reason other than a disagreement gone awry let alone that anyone would be methodically hunting people down one by one. At this point, the FBI basically labeled multiple murderers as people who had just, quote-unquote, gone crazy. Um, and that was until the world met Edmund Kemper. Yeah. yeah. And you've heard this name, right? Yeah, but n- nothing else. Like, just So I will nothing. say, if you do know the name, it's probably more popularized by a lot of people who have covered them. Look, we're no different. We're going to spill the facts, but we're going to be sillier than most. I'll say that. But uh, he has been more popularized specifically on Mindhunter, um, which was a which pretty, I haven't seen. So it is fucking sense. dope. It's I know, so I need good. to get on it. Um, just be careful because they're still worried about season three, so they don't know if it's going to end. 
So you might get like hung up. So it's just disappointing. What but, do you mean? Like they paused it? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Well, well, I can't start something knowing the inevitable like I'm going to not have a conclusion. However, as of what when this comes out, as of a week and a half ago, <laughs> uh, they have started talks about like negotiations for some of the actors and stuff. So we're good. Are we? Okay. I don't know. We'll start a Mindhunter series off to the side. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Edmund Emile Kemper was, or the third, was born in Burbank, California on December 18th, 1948. His parents, Edward II and Clarnell, were an average middle class couple with two other children, Ed's older brother and Ed's younger sister. Fun fact Ed was 13 pounds at birth. Oh my God, that poor woman. Right. Now, I know that that's a big ass baby. That's a big fucking baby. And what I, year is this again? This was in 1948. So I don't think they really have Epidurals. any good drugs. <laughs> no. Yeah, poor Clarnell. <laughs> Maybe that's why she's such odd a dick name. later in the show. Yeah, <laughs> odd name. Well, it's a different time. I get that, but I've never heard that name before. Have oh, you're you? going to hear some weird ones for sure. <laughs> let's let's hear right. them. So, big ass baby. But I looked up some stats for, for reference yeah. because uh, I didn't know. And as I went down this wormhole, so will you. Uh, <laughs> most human male babies don't weigh that much until they're three months old. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Um, also, because I found this ridiculous website, according to weightandthings.com, Ed weighed as much as 2,187 ping pong balls, roughly 1% the weight of a blue whale's heart or 59 blueberry muffins. The muffins is what really set the measurement for I'm pretty me, sure there's so. somebody out there and be like, I get it I now. I get it now. Yeah. There's the muffins. Now, it's important to note that much of the information we have on Ed is largely from his own account, but according to his telling, his mother was a verbally abusive and demeaning figure in the household, um, also a bit of an alcoholic. So eh. um, we're already kind of starting in some, so, some familiar paths here. Um, Ed offered this to give some perspective about his relationship with his mother. My mother was there. She was there to beat me. She was there to humiliate me. And she was there to use me as an example of how inferior men are. (laughs) On the alternative, Ed was very close to his father. So it broke his heart when the two divorced in 1957, when Ed was just nine. And he found himself 1,200 miles away with his mother and two siblings in Helena, Minnesota. I think that was the year my mom was born. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. So puts that in time perspective. It's funny because like we hear these stories that like sound long ago. And no, like, no, like that's, that's, that's when not. you're like, oh no, okay, so this person's in his like seventies. Yeah. So mm-hmm. okay. now, um, this is also the fifties, and this is still a crazy small town. Uh, so Helena, Minnesota. And if you're from there and you're saying it wasn't, you're wrong. <laughs> I looked that up on Google. <laughs> Uh, without his father present, we start to see Ed's demeanor towards his mother escalate. Um, now developing into a teenager, we start to see some popular key points of the McDonald's triad popping up in, in his actions. Did he stay really big? We'll find out. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ed reportedly starts playing pretend games with a sister called Electric Chair and Injection. Uh, and this is at like 10 years old. So How does he even know that about this shit? Exactly. I mean, you know, news, stuff like that. Maybe they're, yeah, they're it's still. on the TV. But um, but Ed, interestingly enough, Ed is the one being injected or electrocuted. So mm. he's the one dying. Ah. Um, his relationship towards his sister is difficult to pin down, but there are two specific things that stand out, right? At one point, due to either Ed's actions towards his sister or due to Clarnell's alcoholism and preconceived notions about men, Ed starts being locked in the basement every night. 
Ah. Clarnell claims that this was because she was concerned Ed would sexually assault his sister. Um, I was unable to find anything that points to Ed escalating to that specifically, but that's not to say that it wasn't a concern. But like if she just saw something like... I mean, so Ed is around 10 at the time. Um, I've yet to meet a 10-year-old who displays like aggressive sexual behavior, but that's not to say that it's not a thing, obviously. Yeah, but I feel like we've heard about some kids starting at least some signs of that at 10. Sure. But also, like. she's an alcoholic, and she's constantly just like, mad at the child. So, Dean, didn't he start crazy shit like at like 10, 12? I don't remember. I feel like that's when he first, the murder boner first started. Oh, uh, that was for like finding the hogs and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But he was like super in love with his mom, where this guy does not like his mom. True. Let me tell it's you. still like sexual weird shit. Yeah. So, not sure why. I mean, but also, too, it didn't happen to his older brother. So, maybe mm. it's not like specifically towards men. So, who knows? I wasn't able to find anything specifically about that. Um, but um, at a point later on, Ed's sister testified in trial that she was once almost killed by her brother as well. So uh, guns were pretty common in the household. They were given as gifts to, to kids and things like that. Um, one afternoon, while the two were younger, uh, they were by themselves. She claimed to have walked around the corner only to hear a loud popping sound to her side. Uh, she turned around to see Ed standing there with a twenty-two, saying, Oops, I thought it was empty. And they found the bullet lodged in a bookcase, like, just inches away from her head. So, bit of an escalation. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say. Start keeping an eye on that kid. Um, Now, this is where, yes, I will totally agree that some developmental issues are going on with Ed and his relationship to his family. But um, the fact that Ed's locked in a basement every night um, did not, like, help the emotionally, like, scarring of the child. Um, He's 10 at the time. Um, He'd later recount that the only light uh, at night was from a furnace that he would and he would constantly feel rats brushing against him. So it's kind of like this back and forth of he's obviously not doing great, but yeah. they're obviously not managing it well. Um, so they're just isolating him out. And as anybody yeah. can tell you, as like with a child with some sort of developmental issues going on, just you know, excommunicating them from some sort of family household is probably not the best way to go. No, no. you're going to create new problems. Fun fact, we'll find out. <laughs> Aside from the argument of what actions fed what actions, things didn't start getting better for Ed. He he started mutilating his sister's dolls, particularly removing their heads. He also began fucking with the family cats. He stabbed one to death. Don't fuck with cats. Don't fuck with cats. He uh, stabbed one to death. And when the family got another, assumably because they cannot learn a fucking lesson. Oh my God. (laughs) uh, He buried it alive, then exhumed the body decapitated it with a bayonet, which where the fuck does a 12-year-old get a bayonet? I mean, I think that the gun should have been pretty hidden, too. Yeah, apparently know? they're hanging out in a fucking... Everything, yeah, they're yeah, just free range. In an armory. <laughs> um, takes the head off of the bayonet, places the head on a spike, and needless to say that... Oh my god, no! Yeah, this freaks the fucking family Shut out. Shut up! Yeah. Imagine coming home from the grocery store and at your fucking like, swinging chair on your porch. Is your cat Muffin? Why am I laughing? No, I don't blueberry? know. Yeah, no. They named it Muffin Blueberry. No. Did I tell you? Uh, later on. Did okay. I tell you? I told you the blueberry story with the quail? No. No? Okay. Okay. Later. Right. You'll get that. Maybe for next It'll time, boys and girls. It'll be way funnier. <laughs> <laughs> well, that Uh-oh. does explain something because you laugh like a maniac. Oh, my God. It's good. All right. Anyway. Anyway. Edge. <laughs> At age 13, Ed reaches a breaking point and decides to run away back to his father, who, remember, is Aww. 1,200 miles away. Yeah, right? and seemingly a nice person. Right? Yeah, well, from all accounts, from yeah. what we can, we can surmise. Um, and he makes it. 
He makes it 1,200 miles at 13 years oh old God. back to his father, right? Jesus. Um, now, for another point of reference, and because I found another ridiculous website, themeasureofthings.com, that <laughs> is roughly 40% of the distance from LA to New York. It's roughly 50% the length of the Mississippi River. And it's roughly 60% of the goddamn Oregon Trail. And he didn't even get dysentery or get bit by a snake. Oh, my God. So did he just, he had to have just hitchhiked most of it. Yeah, that was a big thing. And like a lot of the stuff I was reading. And is, that was the time. That was the era for hitchhiking. Like, no problem. Yeah, it was like poor people Uber. It was great. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Who needs a fucking smartphone? Just throw your thumb out. Yeah, you might get a creepy dude. But I mean, you're still getting there. You know? Same thing as Uber. anyway unfortunately for ed when he arrives at his father's house he discovers that his father has since remarried and has a stepson yeah after a brief moment of time ed is sent back to live with his mother oh no what a bastard pants right and this marks one of the first major rejections from a like a revered parental figure um ed is absolutely devastated i mean yeah yeah, it turns out the mother is like a giant trigger, and so he's just rejected by the only person he loved. Oh, No big deal. No big deal. Not Sorry, traumatizing cats. at all. Here we go. <laughs> anyway, um, so loses the figure. It becomes clear in a short amount of time uh, that the growing hostility between Ed and his mother is beyond a healthy level, and Ed is sent to live with his grandparents in Northfolk, California. This is an immensely small town, and Ed quickly finds himself in his first brush with the law. Ed states that uh, his grandparents' relationship towards each other was quite caustic. He notes that his grandmother belittled his grandfather at every given opportunity, so it may stand to reason that Ed deferred much of his aggression towards his mother to his grandmother. And that's the mom's mom? Um, I think this is the dad's... Dad's mom? Yeah, the dad's dad and his wife. Because this is Edmund Sr. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. So... One afternoon, this 15-year-old powder keg finally blows. Ed, in his awful habit of harming animals, had a hobby of shooting birds, much to the dismay of his grandmother. He did so with a 22, which was a gift from his grandfather. On April 27, 1964, his grandmother had had enough and attempted to confiscate the rifle. Ed refused and seemingly out of nowhere, fired the rifle at his grandmother, killing her instantly. Oh, shit. Shit escalated quick. Wow. So I Ed, mean, she sucked, but damn. Yeah. Well, Ed then waited on the porch for his grandfather. Uh, who arrived home from running errands a few hours later. Ed's grandfather barely had time to even register that Ed was on the porch before he raised his rifle and fired, gunning him down in the driveway. The commotion caused the police to arrive. Obviously, Hmm. the two bodies on the crime scene was shocking enough, but what most officers noted as disturbing was just how calm, cool, and collected Ed seemed as he described the events that took place. When asked why he had done what he'd done, he simply responded, I wanted to see what it was like to kill somebody. He did, however. Very honest bloke. Yeah. And it, and I'm gonna, we'll talk honest. about that in a second. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, so he did, however, note that he didn't want to shoot his grandfather, but he did so to spare him the pain of finding his, or finding his wife dead. Okay. So not sociopathic because was if he was genuine about that, then that was some empathy towards the grandpa. So that's not, you know what I mean? I have a theory on this at the end. Okay. So if we remember to get back to that, um, I don't know. It, it's it's something. It's just where, an like, interesting component to it. That's why this case is so fascinating because yeah. it's very easy to look at these <clears throat> these things, these happenings, and go, "Oh, A, B, and C happened. Ergo, he's going to kill people." Yeah. Right. But it's how he does it, how he communicates things, 
that really make him stand out as a little bit different from a lot of these just kind of standard profiles we see from people, right? Mm-hmm. So another thing that the uh, police noted was Ed's size, uh, something he would be well known for Big uh, throughout his entire life. At 15, he was already stood six foot four and oh my weighed, God. weighed nearly 260 pounds. Oh my God. Arriving so that, on, I mean, that, like, I'm picturing, you know, no one else does, but EJ, that's literally yeah. how big EJ is. Mm-hmm. And he's 15. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. <laughs> Arriving officers mistook what? him for a full grown adult. Holy shit. How could you not? Exactly. Or a bear. So. <laughs> Which, you know, if you know, if you led a different lifestyle, probably could have been a pretty solid one, you know? Yeah. Anyway, Ed went through an interesting court proceeding, right? At the time, California was a lot or was focused mainly on rehabilitation. Mm. Uh, so he found himself turfed back and forth between being charged as a minor, being charged as an adult. I mean, obviously he got out, so clearly they went the easier so, route. So a little different. I mean, like, so they basically the the jurisdiction that would have proceeded to charge him as a minor was like, we've never dealt with anything like this, so we're turfing him over back to like the major crimes aspect. They're like, well, we can't do it as an adult, so they basically turfed him over to the Atascadero State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, uh, which is actually where the Joker started, too. I don't know if you know that. Really? No, not at all. I made that up. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. God, I hate you so much. I know you'd fall for that one. <laughs> it also proved to be quite the specimen. <laughs> Who does that? I do. <laughs> Doctors clawed at the chance to get to know the boy who had not only done something so heinous, but was so willing to talk about it and quite eloquently as well. So he's always been like that. Mm-hmm. Just honest. Yeah. And so something I found very interesting while listening and watching interviews, because there's a fuck ton of interviews from hmm. Ed Kemper, is just how well-spoken this guy is. I've recorded and everything. Oh, yeah. like, like there's no. documentaries, there's everything. You you look it up on YouTube, you will find hours and hours of him just talking about how, why, when, everything Damn. he did. Um, graphic, gory details. It's really interesting, in my opinion also, that we're able to access videos yeah. like this. Isn't it? Like It's like we don't, the police don't have to do that. Like, I think thank a lot you. Of times I'm glad like they stuff, do. You know? But like, it has to be, right? I don't know. Like, there's no way they're just like, nah, fuck it. Here, let's see, get some views on YouTube. You well, know? like, especially if you're starting to watch a lot of these things popping up on Netflix, Hulu, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. They have a lot of these interviews that are done because major, uh, like, major networks are starting to realize this stuff clicks like yeah. people will fucking pay attention to and this. it's super easy content they already have yeah. the content from 50 years ago and now all they have to do is just interview some people and throw in some shots scanning the building real slow and call like, that b-roll boom <laughs> is yeah. it really called mm-hmm. that yeah <laughs> so like literally every 10 years they can go back and be like you still cool with talking cool let's do it and then they just get a whole another segment on it right super true so um again extremely well-spoken for someone who's been called a basically a bumbling oaf for his entire life he's been made fun of because of his size he's been yeah, called what school what education does he really well i don't really i didn't find much on that um yeah. but he literally has the self-image of like i'm just a giant fucking bumbling idiot yeah um but much to his surprise and to the doctor's surprise he scores an iq of over 145 hmm. uh he's extremely intelligent wow. um he's extremely well-spoken and terrifyingly enough has this weird compartmentalization in his mind where he does very specific heinous things but can completely psychoanalyze every single part of it and tell you why, why? and what. Yeah, it's not like a, oh, I don't know why I'm mad. It's like no, I was mad because of this, this, and this, and I was actually really curious to see what that would look like. Hmm. It's interesting. Ed proved too smart for everyone's good. However, Ed slowly starts to manipulate the doctors into making them believe 
that he is someone he clearly isn't. Using the power of observation, practice, and patience, Ed works his way into an assistant's role for his personal psychiatrist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, he has charm. Oh like, my God. When you watch videos of him, he's a charming guy. Like, you, you don't get the vibe that he's this giant, maniacal, murdering Jesus maniac. Jesus Christ. And, like, literally convinces every almost every doctor that like interviews him that he's like uh it was just like a momentary lapse like there's no way he would do that again (laughs) he is the example (laughs) of like you have no fucking clue what people are capable of you think you know you have no idea yeah and you might know somebody like this just saying so One of his daily responsibilities for his uh, his boss was to interview and test violent criminals and report back to the doctor. And upon doing so, Ed learned two very specific <laughs> oh, things. Man. Right, one, what or he learns what answers the hospital staff is looking for mm-hmm. is even shown the answers Jesus. as far as how to appear rehabilitated. They're giving him the cheat sheets to his future tests. Boom. <laughs> and two, exactly how to abduct, sexually assault, and murder women straight from the mouths of people who had already done it. And got caught. So obviously what not to do. Well, like like basically being like, all right, well, in the moment, they're probably going to do this. So you, like, I would just do this and it worked every time. Like, it's fucking terrifying. And he's yeah. like, oh, really? Go on. <laughs> <laughs> just writing it down on his clipboard while he's supposed to be interviewing them about like, yeah, he's like so what was your uh, childhood like? He's building <laughs> he's a like, fucking playbook, he's man. a playbook. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ew. He's remembering combos. That was such a horribly good analogy. <laughs> so, on Ed's 21st birthday, just six years after murdering both of his grandparents, Ed was released and placed back into the care of his mother, which went so fucking well the first time that I'm sure nothing will happen. It's longer than I thought he was going to serve just for, like, just having a broken system, but, like, still, yeah. that's two people, Super two murders great. starting off. <laughs> Now, I'm going to do my best to layer this out as best as possible, but there are so many factors as far as how this guy manipulates things throughout his entire life mm-hmm. um, to do what he does. And Does the mom have this component to her? Does it say like They never that really say she, much about okay. like other than... Because again, the only real accounts we have are his perception of what happened because he does speak so readily about things. Mm-hmm. So... We don't know much about what his mother's actual personality was, if it was this kind of uh, caustic, vindictive type of motherhood. Um, we don't know what specifically she was capable of. Just that she kicked the shit out of him and just sucked. Yeah. So, upon release, Ed goes through a series of odd jobs until he finally finds himself as a laborer for the Department of Public Works. Through his interactions, he begins to befriend a lot of local police officers who uh, know nothing about his past, and they actually end up becoming drinking buddies Mm -hmm. at the local cop hangout. So Ed is so enamored by this lifestyle that he also applies to become an officer, and he doesn't get accepted. Now, you would think that it's because just years ago he murdered two people, both of them family members, (laughs) and then spent six years in an insane asylum, but no, it's because he was too big. So Ed now- They just didn't want to make a uniform- to fit him or how is he, he now stood six foot nine and weighed 300 pounds oh my god yeah jesus christ anyway, jesus remember the last time jesus i christ. stood next to someone that was like seven feet tall yeah so um you know when we start doing some posts about this like with photos of him he is a fucking giant and that's why to me like I feel like when we talk about a lot of other serial killers, uh, criminals, these kind of things, it seems like they've got like a grab bag of certain strengths. Mm-hmm. This guy is 
smarter than most. This guy is bigger than most. And this guy is like a snake in the grass. Nobody even sees him coming, which mm. is the, one of the most terrifying combination of skills. And especially and because he's just so large. How could you sneak around being? Yeah. And like <laughs> that monstrous. Just to give you a picture. He's like, he kind of looks like a giant <laughs> pear with legs. Uh, he's just got like black comb over hair, some like thick 70s style glasses, just mm. a mustache, just kind of like a really nice, like, hey, how's it going? Like that kind of guy, right? Yeah. So you wouldn't think anything of it. So, um, so yeah, guy's 6'9", weighs 300 pounds. Um, upon the not getting accepted, uh, he starts taking classes at the local community college where his mom actually works. Um, quickly drops out. Uh, just doesn't seem to be going well for him. Um, but due to his mother's access at the college, he's still allowed on campus. So he just kind of starts trolling around. Um, Ed's mother, who became at this point an even heavier drinker, began belittling Ed in any moment she could, often pointing out young, attractive co-eds and stating, oh, they'd never be interested in a guy like you. So walking around, basically just being like, nana, nana, boo, boo kind of thing. So like, how does she not think eventually he's just going to step on her? (laughs) I remember I was listening to a specific show and they were talking about like parental roles. If you are a parent, Okay. Mm-hmm. Really just start looking at what you're doing to your kids. <laughs> you're probably great at it. Yeah. If you're doing shit like this, remember that most of the parents who do this don't live. <laughs> like you might die at your kids' hands. <laughs> PSA. So maybe get them an ice cream cone. You know, and like then. fucking stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. Just don't be a dick. Anyway. Ed starts relying on what he knows best. Observation, practice, and patience. Ed begins escalating his actions. On his free time, he begins picking up attractive young women who are hitchhiking and just giving them a ride, working on small talk and conversation. Mm. Um, It's mostly because, you know, as he comes out or as he gets out of uh, the hospital, he does kind of point out, he's like, I felt like there was this massive gap between me and my peers. I felt like this old fuddy-duddy because like... I can't relate to anybody. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about talking to women. I want connection with women, but I, I couldn't figure out how to do it. Yeah. So I would literally just force myself to pick up women that I found attractive, give them rides, and just practice talking to them. It's so easy. He could do it. It's so, so easy. He could do it. Guys. <laughs> yep. I don't know how I managed something. Man, <laughs> Jesus. All uh, right. So uh, working on small talk and conversation. Escalation starts. Soon he begins placing a handgun in between the seat and the mid console, still giving rides, never touching it, just knowing it's there. When on one, or, um, sorry, then after that he starts practicing other moves. This one specifically is very terrifying. So, if you remember with old school doors, right? So you would open the latch, it would click open, and then you would open it, right? So it's same kind of way now, but like that was the only way to get it open. And there's a lock, either sometimes in there or sometimes on the top. So even yeah. if it's unlocked, blah blah blah, right? What he would do is he would pretend to close the door over the person's lap. So he would reach over their lap, be like, oh, sorry, the door wasn't shut. Open it, close it, and and then wedge in Uh. a chapstick container to where they wouldn't be able to open the handle anymore, which gave him just enough time to be able to pull a gun. And he would then practice pulling a gun. When no one's in the car, he would practice just the movement of it hundreds, if not thousands of times. This guy basically starts up just strategically using his intelligence to think of every possible scenario and do it so much to the point to where it's muscle memory. Could you just imagine if he used this power for good? He would probably be the most famous soldier of all time, you Mm -hmm. know, like Captain America. If they would have just made like a 3X state troopers uniform, (laughs) we'd be fucking fine. Or it could have gotten really dark. Yeah. Or still. 
Anyway, <laughs> this all leads up to May 7th, 1972. Ed picks up Mary Ann Pesky and Anita Lachesa. Ed had become so skilled in conversation that the two 18-year-olds didn't even realize that Ed had veered off course until they were smack dab in the middle of the woods and Ed had stopped his car. Ed makes his move by pulling the gun and forcing Anita into the trunk. Now, warning, this is where it starts to get a little brutal. I don't say these things to be like, oh, crazy. These are just how things happen, right? Yeah. Ed goes back to Mary and handcuffs her. In a weird way of recognizing specific emotions at the time, he later recounts that he brushed his hand against her breast and felt embarrassed, saying out loud, whoops, I'm sorry. (laughs) Just seconds later, he begins attacking Marianne with a knife, repeatedly stabbing her in the chest and side. It's a terrifying statement that he later says as well, where he says, it's nothing like the movies. It's a lot harder than you think it is. So, to me... It's just a weird thing that he felt bad for yeah, to like, then go into something far fucking worse, you know? It's more of a curiosity thing. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, or, like, it's more of an emotional thing than it is a sexual thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, basically, stabs her to death, um, pulls Anita out of the trunk. He's covered in blood. He tells Anita, he's like, look, your friend, like, went crazy. She got crazy. She tried to hit me. And in defending myself, I broke her nose. You need to find her because she's flipping out. And she's like, all right, well, I heard all this commotion. I'll see what I can do. And as she runs away, he basically attacks her and stabs her to death, too. I mean, why would she even think that if she was just stuffed in the trunk? Well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think he's basically just trying to, like, calm her down and subdue her. Yeah. And, like, a way to just, like, split second, maybe, like, just chill the situation out a little bit. Yeah. Right? Like, second, his hands are off of you and you're out of the fucking trunk. Like, she, your friend's probably dead. <laughs> Speaking of the trunk... <laughs> Ed's taillight is out. Okay. So his first murder is two women. He's driving them back to his apartment and he gets pulled over by the cops. <laughs> They're both in his trunk. He's being very cordial, very polite. And uh, like the, the cops. I'm assuming even, like, he cleaned himself up then. Yeah. Before driving. I don't know. It doesn't, I didn't really find much about that one, but he basically just goes, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. The taillight's out. You're welcome to open the trunk and check if you'd like. And gets out of the car, six foot nine, 300 pounds of him. And the officer's like, you know what? Just switch it. We'll we'll call move on. Bluff. We'll yeah. call it. We'll call it a day. Like knows that that shit's gonna work. Terrifyingly so. Ed at the time now lives with a roommate in the apartment. Ed's roommate is not home at the time, so he dragged their naked bodies to his room and performed what we're gonna go ahead and call from here on a Kemper, because uh, I don't want to constantly keep saying that he has sex with their corpses for days and days and days and dumps <laughs> their bodies. So that's what Kemper. happens. It's a it's pulling a Kemper. Yeah, right? pulling a Kemper. Not long after, all right, so gets rid of their bodies. Um, this, I guess, satiates him up until September of 72. Um, he does start kind of putting together that he starts uh, committing these crimes when he's had fights specifically with his mom. Mm. So he's putting two and two together at this point, right? Um, in the September of 72, Ed picks up 15-year-old Ayuko Ku, um, and in a tragic twist of fate, Ayuko is only hitchhiking because she had missed her bus to a dance class. Ed pulled his practice routine and soon had a gun to Aiku and exited the vehicle to turn her or like go around and pull her out of the uh, passenger side. Through his course of actions, Ed inadvertently had locked himself out of his car with Aiku, the mm. keys, and the gun still inside. However, as a testament to some sort of weird charm he's able to display, he oh was able God. to talk his way back into the car. Jesus fucking Christ. Aiku lets him in and he strangles her and basically pulls a Kemper. So... Um, 
goes on from there. Now, I'm going to be blatantly honest. This is where I stop writing. <laughs> and I'm cool with that. But I've again, I've been like reading way too much of this shit. So yeah. we're just going to go into some of the other ones too. Following that, we have Cindy Shaw. Uh, he starts escalating a little bit. Now, keep in mind, at this point, there's not only him. He's not the only one running around this part of California killing people. There's also a guy, I think his name was Henry Mullen. He was another serial killer. Um, MOs are a little bit differently. They're basically going, oh, no, it has to be the same guy. There's no way there's two. So they're getting closer to Henry than they are to Ed, right? Mm. Ed also still hangs out at the cop bar. And so he's just shooting. He's hearing all the murmurs and understanding who the suspects are and what they're looking for. Exactly. What a fuck. So he's just basically manipulating his MO to stay ahead, like uh, ahead of the course. So in January 7th of 73, he picks up Cindy Shaw. Um, Cindy is one where he practices the whole bit, the whole routine. Um, He ends up shooting this time with the 22. So what a stupid gun to use well i mean if you're doing like so from what i've heard if you you know shoot the 22 to the head it bounces around kind of yeah does a lot more damage that's shit, the but. only thing you have to is he just shooting them in the head then i don't that's know just this thing because yeah, anything it. else like, it's not he does go in another that's like supposedly the best gun to use when you're committing suicide not oh. to like just kill someone for murder it doesn't fucking matter what you use Dark PSA. Dark PSA. Love it. <laughs> Criminology degree. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> so, uh, picks her up, does the whole routine, shoots her with a twenty-two in a weird kind of thing. What he's doing now is because he's been talking to these cops, he starts going into the bodies and taking the bullet fragments out and just like, so that way there's no information they as far as... can't figure out what they use to exactly. track it. So, he's getting that out. And unfortunately... Uh, he starts escalating what the Kemper is. Now, Kemper 2.0 starts <laughs> becoming a process. Kemper 2.0 is where you do the original thing, and then you cut the head off, and then you do stuff with the head, which is probably exactly what you think it is. Well, yeah. Which is disgusting and terrifying, right? Is he sticking him on a stake again? No. At his house? putting his pee-pee in it. I know. I mean, after the fact. Oh, Obviously, I, know, I, know. I knew that's what you fucking meant originally, just Chris. just to make sure. <laughs> I was trying to be as vague as I mean, possible, but until you, until you made me thing. say it. God, I was trying to be vague. And I was trying to bring it to the cat. <laughs> anyway, not on a stake. Kemper 2.0. Kemper 2.0 is now a thing. He keeps the head, keeps 2.0ing it for a few days, gets rid of the body, actually dismembers the body oh, in his mom's bathtub. Um, they eventually find some of the fragments and stuff, and they figure out it's like a bone saw that was used. And mom has no idea. Mom has no clue. Um, and he, he also, you know, in interviews and stuff, he starts talking about how more embracing he's becoming, about how more confident he's becoming because no one's fucking doing anything. No one's stopping him. So he's almost starting to do things in broad daylight that like, it's it's that escalation to the point where they almost get caught, right? Yeah. So. It's just not fun anymore, so. Yeah. He's done 2.0ing this head. And in this weird fucking sense of humor he has, he starts one of many fucking creepy things towards his mother. So he buries the head outside of his mother's window, looking straight up into the window. Because, quote, mother always liked to have people look up to her. <laughs> yeah. Like, super gross, super fucked. But also, good burn, dude. Oh, man. Yeah. I feel like that one specific detail alone just sounds... That's the only familiar thing I've heard so far. And I just feel like... 
somehow, some way, an hour sick, twisted conversations like a really long time oh, ago. God. I think you told me that fact because it just came up for something. I imagine <laughs> like if one of us ever becomes a detective and we're sitting in a in a like an interrogation room with like three detectives and somebody says something like that, and leave it to one of us to be like. <laughs> It's a good one, Ed. Uh, you want to show us where that body is, though? <laughs> You're like, oh, fuck. All right. So. Damn. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, aside from that, gets rid of that one. And um, two more pop up. Roslyn Thorpe, Allison Liu um, picks them up. Now, he's still picking up a lot of hitchhikers. He's not doing this to every single hitchhiker. There's months in between these is different sprees. Females yep. and young. He's getting comfortable with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and even then, too, he's, he talks about these weird little tricks that he starts learning that work. So with Rosalind Thorpe and Allison Liu, one of them's very apprehensive about getting in the car. She just doesn't get a, the right vibe. Yeah. Trust that shit, please. Seriously, trust your gut. <laughs> yeah. Um, but doesn't get the right vibe. He he learned that like literally 100% of the time, if he just looked at his watch, sighed, and was like, all right, well, then come on, we need to get going if you're going to jump in. Then they would make a snap judgment and be like, oh, well, he's he's in a hurry. We better just get moving. And it worked every time. Worked Ooh. on Allison Liu, worked on Rosalind Thorpe. Uh, basically, Woods, gun, um, brings him back to the mother's house. And this, again, is where he starts getting very, very bold. Um he basically states, and I forget what the, the citation is on this. I just remember listening to a recording of him. It was like, it was 11 p.m. I was sitting outside of my mom's like house. Her curtains are open. The lights are on. And I'm decapitating two women out of the trunk of my car. And no one's doing anything. I can literally hear the neighbors. I can hear the TV. The windows are open. And nobody's doing But I mean, anything. at that hour, like, how often are you looking out of your blinds? Um, I'm a bit of a paranoid person. <laughs> Thanks to Ring, I don't have to anymore. I mean, that's true. Thanks to our sponsor, Ring. (laughs) I'm just kidding. There's no way. No, just kidding. No, but but also get a Ring. Maybe you'll catch uh, your neighbor. They are pretty great. We have one as well. Front of the house, back of the house. It's pretty great. But it's more also the entertainment that you also now have found out you get with your significant other is pretty hilarious. Doug got chased by a hawk. There's hawks and there's (laughs) just funny shit that can happen. But also, for instances, you might want to get one. But Yeah. yeah. Um. It does get a little graphic here, too. I do apologize. Um, what? No way. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, God damn it. So, <laughs> brings the the heads in in camera bags, walks right past his mom, goes to his uh, his room, um, keeps them in the room when his mom's gone the next day, performs the old 2.0. Um, some of the quotes that I found are not to be graphic or disturbing, but to give you insight as far as like just where his brain is. Again, it's very fascinating to me that while doing these terrible things, it's not like he has a lack of emotion in it. Yeah. He's feeling everything yeah. and he's exploring. That's all he's doing is exploring. Um, it's like in a weird fucked up way, he opened up a different part of our brains that I feel like we're not using, but his just went to the dark side rather than to the good side. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, actually, interesting one real fast, too, uh, to give you an idea. This was like one of the last ones that he performs as far as like a multiple killing. Okay. Um, my mother and I had a real tiff. I was pissed. I told her I was going to move and I jumped up and went straight to the campus because it was still early. I said, the first girl that's halfway decent that I pick up, I'm going to blow her brains out. So he... He knew he was doing it. Oh, yeah. He goes in, he does that, has the heads in the room, does the 2.0. 
when asked, again, not to be graphic, but, oh, what's it like to have sex with a dead body? What does it feel like to sit on your living room couch and look over and see two decapitated girls' heads on the arm of the couch? The first time it makes you sick to your stomach. Like, he's literally just disgusted by what he's doing, but still doing it to see what it's like, right? Um, because now he has a fascination with heads, he is later asked about heads specifically. The head trip fantasies, yeah. he says, the head trip fantasies are a bit like a trophy. You know, the head is where everything is at. The brain, the eyes, the mouth. That's the person. I remember being told when I was a kid, you cut off the head and the body dies. The body is nothing after the head is cut off. Well, that's not quite true. There's a lot in the girl's body without the head. It's pretty fucking gross. It is, but it's just like so... Who the fuck said that to him? Just so that was specifically like was like, that like when they were were there animals like yeah. did they have stuff on the was it, it was like a farm or like who was just like let me not elaborate on this. <laughs> the best I read was that his father told him that when he used to cut the heads off of chickens for dinner. Yeah, which is the normal practice. Oh, just super normal. That's still happening today. Yeah, and suck yeah. it, Peter. I'm just kidding. That's terrible. <laughs> um, no, so. Uh, has the heads, gets rid of the heads, identifies at that point, he basically finds out, he's like, all right, I can't keep doing this. Is he burying all the heads in the backyard? Or I don't know what he did with these two. I think okay. these were like dumped in a ravine somewhere. Okay, so it was it, just the, like, particularly the one that he was making, saying that it was staring at his mom. Okay. Yeah, that one he, he decided to get a little pun in on. Um, okay. Which I still think is a good burn, but... Good um, burn, but it's just interesting that they're all, like, different places, too, then. Yeah. Um, so, we finally come up to a climax. A week later, everything blows up, right? Um, he starts realizing, I can't keep doing this. I'm a monster. This is displaced anger. If I keep doing this, more people are going to die. And I don't want that to happen. I'd rather die myself, but still got something I gotta do, mm. right? <laughs> April 20th or April 19th, depending on what records you find. He uh, He's at home. Mm-hmm. His mom comes home uh, from a party. Uh, I like his Midwest accent kind of thing, where he's just like, she came home super soused. Um, so drunk? So she's super drunk, yeah. Um, goes into her room, starts reading a paperback. He's already had this built-up thing over the last week where he's internalizing mm. what's been happening, and he he flat out says, I knew I was going to kill her. I knew I was going to. And it's interesting, too, and they could be for show. They could. It, it's, it's very interesting to watch this part of the interviews because he is crying. Like It's almost like this part of his brain doesn't want to do what he's about to do, and he's at like an internal conflict with himself. Again, not trying to be a champion for the guy, but they are a lot more complex than we give them credit for, right? Mm-hmm. Especially him. Yeah. So he goes in, and this was a specific trigger, which I actually started feeling a little bit of empathy for him when I was watching this interview, was um, he goes in, and she kind of puts the book down, and he uh, or she looks up and says, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. And just kind of cold, like, stares at him, and he just starts bawling when he's, like, recounting all this, and he goes, nope, uh, good night. And then just closes the door, walks out, um, he waits for his mom to fall asleep. Mm. And then at some point in the morning, I forget exactly what time, um, he attacks her while she's sleeping with the bad end of a claw hammer, um, taking her out pretty quick. I was going to say, so it's like, it's just so crazy to think that this woman who, I mean, pretty much kind of like tortured him his whole entire life, he took it easier on her 
Oh. Then he did. Oh. On. Oh, I'm not done. <laughs> Ew, did he do yucky stuff to he her too? He did the 2.0. He did the 2.0 on That's her. That's not all. <laughs> As all right, Billy Mays would say. The, the empathy to kill her without her really feeling fear like the other girls did. Yeah. That's more or less what I mean. He does change his, uh, his MO completely on her. But again, warning, <laughs> this gets fucking gnarly. If other people are around you and can hear this, put headphones on or like give the thumbs up to each other. Just saying. <laughs> Looking at you people in a brew hall. I'm just saying. So... Uh, throughout the night, he <laughs> decapitates her, does the 2.0, um, goes on a little further. You could tell it's this very cathartic moment for him. Um, he basically uses the head on a mantle as a dartboard for a few uh, or a few minutes, or not entirely like sure. Like literally darts? Yep. Just starts using it for dart practice. Um, just screams at it for over an hour. Um, and then, in a very specific, weird ed kind of sense of humor pulls out the vocal cords pulls out the tongue puts them in the garbage disposal quote because oh she was always yelling at me and talking shit to me i figured i'd do the same to her in a weird kind of cruel fate the disposal can't chop up the vocal cords keeps tossing them back out at him and he's like you son of a bitch even after all this i still can't get you to shut the fuck up (laughs) that kind of thing i mean but still she was killed quickly like for someone like everything he's doing after the fact is for obviously his own sex seduction like but like she went out like pretty quick like for someone who just did so much psychological harm to him you would think he would do more of a torture than what he did to the girls he didn't know or never met before i think he's still scared of her like oh, he, was he still, had to, yeah. to even have contact or to live with her or any to keep coming home at a pretty much grown, literally giant ass man. Like if he can get across the country, why couldn't he get a place on his own? Obviously, there was that weird codependency thing. He did have a place on his own for a little bit, but he, he, ended he up, went back yeah, home. Exactly. He came back home. Yep. Like that's just fucking nuts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you could you could essentially say, like, he's terrified of this person. Yeah. But almost as, like, a boss level kind of thing. Starts, like, going through the fight. Once it's done, it's this weird release of every emotion he's ever felt. Oh, yeah. And again, part of my theory is he's exploring. He's too fucking intelligent for his own good. Mm-hmm. He overrides his basic, his basic principles of what's right and wrong to explore if something feels good to do it to somebody because he's angry. And how can someone go through all the stages of grief literally within even one night? You yeah. know what I mean? And even then, he's still in a moment. I mean, that's <clears throat> that's not going through. I, I wouldn't say that that's going through all the stages of grief. I would say to specifically. Scream, to cry, to he felt probably bad at some point. Oh, like, yeah. I feel like he potentially did go through like, all, you know, and then it's he possible. got over it. And then he was like, and then he, the acceptance, like. What is there, five stages, I think? I don't know. So I feel like he did. And literally like one night, he was like, all right, so that's done. And then the next morning he woke up and was like, move on. And he still talks about her very fondly. He's like, look, I mean, you know, we had our differences, but I still loved her. Like, yeah. But that had to happen. And I think with that specifically, we're looking at, again, I just tie into this thing of like, he's he's intelligent enough to bypass social norms 
to see if he gets gratification from things. Mm-hmm. We look at it the same thing with the last two victims where he cuts the head off, puts him on a couch, and just stares at him just to see what it would feel like. And it makes him nauseous. He doesn't like it. Yeah. yeah. Even then, I forgot too. Like while, like after he murders his mom, he immediately throws up because of like what he's done. Oh wow. Yeah. So like he's feeling these emotions, but again, but the throwing up could have also just been a pure adrenaline because how much pent up shit that just was. That how old was he when he finally did it? You know, oh, it's shit. like that was all those years. Yeah, we're and looking like, at like 24, 25. You know, like, I mean, we throw up after a hardcore workout because we had too much pre. Like, it's like your adrenaline, like everything. I go I the other way. I don't <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I got to check the shorts before doing those deadlifts. Aye, aye, aye. Oh, I definitely throw up after a lot, but him to, you know. I can edit that out. You know. <laughs> Nope, you you are no, admitted to shitting yourself for pre-workout. Poop my pants, <laughs> almost. You think we're gonna edit that out? You're mistaken. But sir. again, he's not done. <laughs> no, really. So I did think that was the end. No. Um, starts coming to has a few drinks at a bar locally. Comes back to the house only to start thinking of this plan. He's like, oh fuck, like people are gonna like find out she's gone, right? So. I need to figure out a way to get the fuck out of Dodge and I need to figure out a way to where like buy myself some time to where people won't look for her. Mm-hmm. Right. So he basically um, comes up with this message to a friend going, oh, yeah, she's going to be on vacation with so and so calls the friend Sally Hallett. Um, the other one saying that like she's going to be on vacation with invites her to the house saying something's horribly wrong. He needs her help. And she comes over. Right. Um. Goes up and basically, as she's in the house wondering what's going on, comes up behind her and let me pull up this little, this little fucking ditty that made me a little nauseous. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> and basically describes it as such. I came up behind her and crooked my arm around her neck like this. I squeezed and just lifted her off the floor. She just hung there and for a moment I didn't realize she was dead. I had broken her neck and her head was just wobbling around in the bones of her neck. So he basically just like... Easily. Yeah. Yeah. Like a fucking bird. Toothpick, yeah. Jesus, man. Um, So with the two of them kind of dispatched, he uh, hatches a plan to where he jumps into his car, drives for three days, drives for three days to, I think it was El Paso, was it? Um, No, uh, Pueblo, Colorado. Um, And the whole time he's like, there's no fucking way that they're not going to find these people. And he's listening to the radio. Nothing. And he's like watching news reports. Nothing. And nothing's is happening. But would it, would they actually make the news if they I even mean did small find town, them? like where they are. I think but it was Santa going, Cruz at this time. Yeah, but he's going like three days away. I mean, still at the same time, like, oh, you know, somebody at large after murdering two people. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, it should make at least some sort of terrestrial news, right? Yeah. So he's listening, not finding anything, and he's hopped up crazy on caffeine pills. He's like anxi- <laughs> anxiety high crazy in an interview. He does start to explain like once that was done, I was I was done. I didn't have it in me anymore. Like there was no reason for me to continue to keep doing what I was doing. And to the extent too, I wish I would have done it sooner because more people would have families, have lives, have these different things. Oh wow. Yeah. So it was ultimately he just needed to get out of a system killing the mom. Yep. And yeah. So he drives for about three days. Um <laughs> after not hearing news and finally coming to grips with what he had done. He stops at a payphone, calls the local police department uh, where all of his buddies work and go, hey, this is Ed. Um, I killed my mom and her friend and her head's over here and this, this, this. 
and uh, I'm over here. You guys need to pick me up before I do something bad. Oh my god! And they go. So he turned himself in, yeah. and, and they, they actually got him. They go. <laughs> Ed, you so crazy. Oh, Click. shut the fuck up. Nope. So he calls back and he goes, no, go to the house. Here are the bodies. Here's how they're laid out. And if I'm lying, then tell me. And then they call. <laughs> they're on the phone with him. They're like, we're going to come get you. Oh, my God. Yeah. They're like, oh, that's a quick uh, change of tone. <laughs> exactly. Damn, I wish that phone call was recorded. Right. Yeah, man. Imagine the joking ass demeanor and then quickly being like, You crazy bitch. Get out of here. Oh. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, man. So he stays on the phone with them the entire time while they're trying to find him. Come up, they arrest him. And on the basically, like, it was a three day drive out. They took their time coming back. Um, he is just vomiting words about why, how, how many people yeah. this. And they're like, dude, we can't even get this guy to shut up. Yeah, but you got to get him to try to stop or make sure that he repeats that because if he isn't evil, even able to get, you know, a lawyer in the car on the drive home, like that could get legally dicey, but yeah, he think, just, he has no problem repeating it at yeah. another date. No. <laughs> he's still like, <laughs> he I, I don't fuck. know what he's doing these days, but dude, like the, the 80s and 90s, he was... Interview after interview after interview. Exactly. Um, So how does that shit work when you go into jails? Like, can any publication, as long as the person, like that, you know, Ed? I think as long as he agrees. As long as he says yes. Like, he could just come in during visiting and just give an interview. Yeah, I think if we remember specifically, I forget what his name was, but like, there is a law saying that you can't make money off of selling the rights. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. There is that. You're right. But at the same time, it doesn't say that you can't be a part of things. Yeah, super true. Again, there's a lot. You'd think that's the end, but like, there's still so much that that happens after this. I mean, when you look at Mindhunter, the show, Mm -hmm. right? It is based off on a book. That's based off of actually like two real uh, FBI detectives oh. who started working on criminal profiling, hmm. which is why we have these psychological profilers of certain serial killers, certain criminals, those kind of things. I didn't even know that much about yeah. it, so that's interesting. Why we're able as a society now to look at crimes and go, all right, well, it's probably you know a mid forties white male, uh, this type of relationship with his mother, yeah. this type of like probably a family a man, probably works some sort of mid management job. That's, that's how they found BTK. Mm-hmm. That's how they had like John Wayne Gacy. All these different things because of interviews specifically with Kemper. Huh. He was one of the first ones to actually sit down and instead of being like, I'm not talking or, oh yeah, I killed like the confession killer thing that's out now. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, I killed like 300 people. Be like, no, you didn't. No, you He's, fucking didn't. He. So it's fucked to say that it was almost, it was just really necessary evil to occur because yeah, he killed like a decent amount of people, but now the amount of people they've been able to put away from the knowledge of him yeah. giving all this shit up so willingly. I mean, it's it's awful to think that people had to die because of something like that, but yeah. there is a lot of good that came out of so the end of knowledge. the situation. Um, and again, that's why I find this person very fascinating is because he's not your, your typical rage-inspired, um, like, vindictive against the world like he does he does have that (laughs) yeah but he also has this weird intelligence and this emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. to understand why and so far as i can tell the first person we've covered if not one of the first first people i've ever heard of to cognitively go oh fuck 
I'm going to be a problem. I need to stop this. Mm-hmm. You guys need to come get me yeah. because I did this, this, and this because of this, this, and this specifically. Definitely. It's insane to me. Um, it's so. interesting he didn't come to the conclusion that obviously, like, from that much intelligence, I'd be like, oh, oh, it's mom. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, Damn, I should have done that fuck. three times ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. Fuck. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, a lot of weird quotes. If you ever want to go through those, his prison life is very interesting. Um, he was put in a similar row as Charles Manson mm. and as, uh, was it Herbert Mullen or Henry Mullen? Um, he still has these weird signs of intelligence, uh, even in prison. Um, he is a model prisoner. He's only had one infraction. Wow. Um, because what he, was could, it? he couldn't pee in a cup at the time. Um, and like he just couldn't, he just didn't have to piss at the time. I Is don't that know. like that's all I heard? Huh. Um, but there's that aspect of it. And then um, <laughs> he didn't like being around Manson. He wasn't a fan of him, and he hated Mullen. Like fucking couldn't stand Mullen. Um, you would think he would hate Manson more. I don't know, but he didn't like Mullen specifically because Mullen was very erratic. Uh, tried to get attention, would sing while other people were trying to watch TV and stuff oh. like that. So he found them very so just disruptive. Disrupting his daily life. He was so like, I'm here forever. I've made peace with this. Like, shut the fuck up so I could watch my show today. Like yeah. and Manson. I don't know. I just Manson just seems like, you know, he would try to be the alpha and just try to uh, get Manson was pretty like pretty I mean, if you're not going alpha, alphabet, but like, getting yeah, getting He joined everyone. a gang quick. He really? has a swastika on his forehead. And that wasn't... No, that was that Manson. Was after, yeah. I know, no, yeah. I know, I know. That was after the fact. That was him so. trying to like... Oh, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Manson also had the uh, the whole like a lot of uh, sexual abuse in institutionalized aspects of things. So he knew like, oh, fuck. I, I, he was terrified of it already because of nah. previous experiences. But specifically Ed in his relationship with Mullen later on, again, is a weird testament to his intelligence. Uh, even though the guy annoyed him, he basically Pavlov dogged him. And any time that like he would sing, he would like reprimand him and yell at him. And then he would basically like give him treats every time he stopped. Like he would give him peanuts or candies and things like that to the point to where Mullen would ask Ed for permission to sing. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So he stopped it. That's fucking crazy. Ed also went on, obviously, Damn, like we said. Thank God he did what he did to stop, or he would have, he could have kept going. Yeah. So he, he's been a massive uh, asset to the FBI. Um, weird side note um, he started on his own free will, just audio booking books from the prison library for blind people. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. That is Ed Kemper, who is still alive now, is eligible for parole in a few years. Oh, shut the fuck up! Yeah, he he did the uh, consec or the concurrent concurrent life, concurrent yeah life sentence. What? Or like, yeah. So How? <laughs> because we're, our system is fucked and everyone can get out. Oh. Literally, people are here to murder you. And he's and we're like, not doing anything to stop them. Like older people can still fuck shit up too. This guy's six foot nine. He's a he could just have been staying very healthy all even with years. osteoporosis. He's still the same size as EJ. Even in his yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's pretty nuts. All right, so we'll uh, keep tabs on that. <laughs> That's Ed Kemper. Um, again, a just in- extremely fascinating. That's uh, very story. interesting. Yeah, it's the psychological component of that. That's so interesting. And so. also, thank you, thank you. I just needed to get that out. <laughs> Jesus, now you can sleep soundly tonight, Yo. knowing. 
no claw hammers to the face. Yeah. Fuck, man. These people exist. They are seemingly normal. They are not all Dracula Daves out there. (laughs) They're not all people that are like obvious. They don't let their freak flag fly all the time. (laughs) Sometimes they hide it pretty well till you're by yourself. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you're getting Kempered. 2.0, the worst. (laughs) Fuck. Well, that's a good you toodles reference. You just made reference. me laugh at that. Like, fuck you, Chris. I'm Sorry. done. Bye. Bye. Dead. Dead.